This is the SFF Audio Podcast. Hi, I'm Jesse. Hello, I'm Paul. Hello, I'm Marissa. Hello, I'm Evan. Hello, I'm Will. We're going to talk about uh, Lies, Inc., by Philip K. Dick, also known as The Unteleported Man. Um, very difficult to figure out what this book should be called. I I don't think Lies, Inc. Is, is that his title? I think The Unteleported Man was his title. Yeah, I, think, yeah, I think that's right. The original title, the original story, Lies, Inc. was the, uh, the added version's title. Yeah, I don't think it sounds like a very Philip K. Dick title, Lies, Inc. That sounds like a very... Sounds like a movie title. Yeah, and even that's too long, right? They want a one-word word title, but having that comma in there will confuse the audience. They say, is it a two-parter? <laughs> so, The Unteleported <laughs> Man is a very Philip K. Dick title. It's um, a great title. It's a great title. Um, and uh, I, want, I have something I want to throw down before anybody else gets to it. Okay, here it is. Go ahead. Mm-hmm. Um, I think this whole book is basically terrible. However, however, there's lots of cool stuff in it, and some of it is is very very dreamlike, um, which is a good thing. But um, this company, Trails of Hoffman, I think I know where that came from. You guys have any idea? No. It's Go kind ahead. of weird, right? <laughs> why, why would the company be called Trails of Hoffman? There, they're a teleporting company, right? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Like a lot of the stuff. Uh, basically, I think Philip K. Dick gets something in his brain, and it's like grit, and he starts putting a pearl around it, you know, like Lord uh, Running Clam, <laughs> and he just keeps building it up and building it up. And here, it was just the the name of this book called Tales of Hoffman, you know, uh, E. T. A. Oh, Hoffman. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I know that book. Yeah, it was a great opera. There's a great opera by Offenbach based on the uh, Tales of Hoffman. There you go. That's probably where Philip K. Dick encountered it. So Tales of Hoffman mm-hmm. is a, yeah, it's an opera. Um, but E.T.A. Hoffman is a late 18th century, early 19th century uh, Philip K. Dick type. Um, kind of Poe and Philip K. Dick uh, combined yeah. with um, fairy tales, sort of. Um, he has a. Well, was it like the the Nutcracker? That was all him. Uh, I'm not. I'm not actually that familiar with his work, other than uh, Eric talks about him quite a bit on you know, uh, reading short and deep. Um, and there is a story of his that I need to read called The Sandman. Um, anybody here read it? I've no. read it a long time ago. It's it's one of the vignettes in the Tales of Hoffman opera. Right, three stories in the opera. And the uh, Sandman is one of the adaptations. Yeah, so basically, um, it, it's it's kind of it's kind of sounds similar to uh, another Poe story that I I need to read, uh, which is about doppelgangers. Um, and there's it's kind of robots. Um, anyways, I think that that's where the seed for this name came from, and then a lot of the other things that are happening in here are like that too. Like I, I sent it to Will only because I didn't want everybody to see it and I don't even know if Will got it. Um 
a last late last night uh, from archive.org? Yeah, no, I didn't have a chance to, to get into that. <laughs> Good. I'm glad. Okay, so it's basically a 1975 Philip K. Dick interview. Um, Marissa, you might have heard it in the past. It's on a collection somewhere. Um, but he's talking with some host, uh, either out of New York or Los Angeles, um, just sort of shooting the shit. And the last guy, uh, the previous guest had been um, a dude named uh Lupoff, Richard Lupoff. <laughs> and Philip K. Dick has this oh, hilarious uh, it, it, Is well, Richard Lupoff the same Lupoff who who did was Burroughs uh yes. and biographer? Yes. Oh. Okay. And he also wrote a he also wrote a, a novel in Philip Jose Farmer's Dungeon Universe. Yes. Uh, I read that series. So this R- Richard Lupoff um <laughs> He, the the host says, you know, uh, he says, Richard Lupoff's getting out of the field. You've probably heard this interview, Marissa. It's really funny. Um, and Phil Kiddick says, uh, you can't trust anything what writers say. <laughs> trust me, I know where I speak. Um, because he was going to be paid $15,000 to to write a uh, non-genre novel. And Philip K. Dick was saying, you know, that's bullshit. I never, I never got paid more than $3,000 for anything. And, uh, you know, the fact that he made no money, you know, and this guy's making, and he's, he's, he's barely in the field, right? And then, <laughs> so the host says basically something like, um, well, that's what he said. What's, and he says, what's your source? And he, that's what he was in last week. That's what he said. He said, you can't trust writers. And he says, I'll tell you a funny story about Richard Lupoff. I was chatting up his wife <laughs> at the bar. The next thing I know, I find myself flat on uh, on the concrete outside the bar. You didn't like that very much. Whoops. <laughs> wow. So, long story short, uh, the loop off that's in here, um, I think is like exactly the, who we think it is. It's um, it, it, so this book is it's got lots of gems, right? Yeah. But it's uh, the way it's been reconstructed and constructed and. Um, and it's so, I, I don't know if Will notices it, but it's got everything that he's, all these, he even has leddies in here. Did you guys notice oh, that? Yeah, I yeah. saw mm-hmm. that. Why? Why are leddies in here suddenly? Well, you know. Wait, what, what is a leddy? So the leddies are, uh, they're basically robots that are made out of lead for surviving nuclear radiation. And oh, okay. they show up in uh, a couple of stories, uh, one novel and a, a short story, uh, which is uh, Plato's Cave sort of analogy. And uh, I think the reason he's thrown it in there is because this is another Plato's Cave analogy, right? Yes. We we get. I mean, there's, I mean, there's a there's a lot of. There's a lot of things he seems to be recycling into this book. I Very mean, much so. You, 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 I mean, all you know, my my favorite Philippic story is Faith of Our Fathers. Uh, dude, and, this whole book is Faith of yeah, Our Fathers. Yeah. Right? And, 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 and it was written about the same time. Well, the, 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 re, the, the added stuff. The para-universe stuff. Yeah, yeah, and that the, feels like... It feels that like was written around the same time. No, yeah, it written feels around like the same time as Faith Yeah, it feels like he's, yeah, he's just playing with that idea again. It's like, I read this! Yes, and, and Faith of Our Fathers is not a novel, so he can recycle it, right? He feels free to recycle his own materials. 
He does. There are, there are new things in here. Um, flapples. <laughs> That's one for the Redderizer, right? I don't think we've yeah, had Flapples. I, I want to return to the Lettys for a second. Mm-hmm. If we can. Yep. Um, the, um, uh, my feeling about this. So one really interesting thing about this novel is like the, the juxtaposition, uh, between the like, you know, like massive robot labor force mm-hmm. and the like, you know, like massive underutilized human labor force is like a weird thing, right? Like that's, th- there's a contradiction there. Yeah. There's another novel he wrote, I think right after this, or at least like, after the, the added material, um, called The Crack in Space, which has that same problem where you have overpopulation. Yeah. You have overpopulation alongside like life extending technologies and automation, which kind of leads to this huge population of human kipple. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're all frozen. They're all frozen yeah. up and there's, you know, what do we Wait, do? Wait, literally, and they're all minorities too. They, they, you know, it's the, the, and, the and it, Malthusian logic here, I think, is something. Another thing Dick recycles. Mm-hmm. I think there's a good novel in here, a really good novel in inside of this mess. Oh. Um, I think I think the unteleported is a good novel. Right, right. I think had had this added stuff been incorporated better, I think it would have been because I think the unteleported man reads like a 1950s Dick novel in a lot of ways with yeah, the I... frontier. You got that frontier stuff that's very reminiscent, even though mm-hmm. it's like a more of a, it's a, it's not as positive a view of the frontier as you get in some of the earlier Dick works. It's more it's like more what nuance. you get in yeah. the sixties. Cause in the sixties, you kind of turned on the frontier with uh, like the three stigmata, Palmer Eldridge and Martian time slip. The frontier com- becomes kind of shitty mm-hmm. in those later works. Um, and here it's a little ambivalent because you got the utopian, you got that, like that family of, of perspective pioneers. Mm-hmm. I think. They're like the moral core of the novel in a lot of ways. You know, that they, they're the ones who really believe in the frontier. And at the end, right, they're told, like, oh, don't go there. It sucks. There, like, oh, I guess. It, it, it almost feels like this book but, is is a pastiche of a whole... Like, it, it almost feels like somebody set out yeah. to, like, dip into everything Philip K. Dick wrote after the 50s. And right. just, just it's, like... It, here, here, I'm gonna do Philip K. Dick for you. Because, like, some of the, some of the things that are in here are like, um, the, starting off with the rat, the guy thinking he's a rat. Um, that's very, um. Oh, what was that? <laughs> anyway. Uh, I, I mean, it's so, so familiar. Um, and I, I don't think he actually had a guy be a rat anywhere before. But it sounds like something that was in, um, Dr. Blood Money. And then mm-hmm. we actually have, don't we have a Dr. Blood in here? Yes. We do. Right? I thought that was, a, yeah, yeah, it's like, oh, we're referencing Blood Money now? Yeah. Right. And then, uh. Oh, so Philip K. Dick Universe. Like, yes. And then, and, and, it's and sort of the, it's the nexus like for, for yeah, all of like, those other stories for sure. And so if you were writing a, um, uh, a Redderizer, you might call it the unteleported book or something like that, because this is a really good jumping off point for looking at all those better works, um, because they're more coherent. This one is, it's not, it's not, I, it's not good. I think it just wasn't what? put together properly. 
and uh, maybe yeah, we should I, just. I have to take issue with something you just said, Jesse. Go for it. it. It wouldn't be called the unteleported book. It'd be called the teleported book because it gives us access to all these para worlds, right? How about un unteleported book? So <laughs> it's the, but it's the teleported book. It's not unteleported. Yeah, eventually he is teleported. Yeah, that's that's. Yeah, but I, I think that our book would be called The Teleported Book. That's why it's called Lies, Inc., right? Yeah. <laughs> and it's only one way. Like, once you read them all, you can never come back. So uh, he's dealing with Nazis again. That's sort of the... Ma- if we conceive of this book as an actual theme, right? If, if we look at it as a coherent whole, even though it isn't one, um, it's a Nazi book. It's uh, every... Well, hey, it's a guys. Nazi book, but, yeah. like, when they go there... It's it's Stalinism. That's what's well. That's what the well. That's the, what the twist all is. The imagery, right? like all the imagery of the one way trip, it's Treblinka. It really is, mm-hmm. right? Of course, they mentioned like zombie and or or, or Siberia, but yeah, but it's but they're distinct. I think they're distinct experiences. Going to Siberia is one thing. Going to Treblinka is a very different experience. Uh, I, Auschwitz I is, is the more popular. Treblinka one way trip. The other. Wasn't necessarily a one-way trip. Well, it was but, it was meant to be one. But you're strong. Yeah. It's strongly implied that there's such a gas chambers at the other end of the teleportation. That's right. And we so get there, it's not. So it's my feeling good. was, uh, and you know, this is Philip K. Dick's idea in general. Like he's he's he says, here's a twist, right? So the I I, I sent a YouTube video on. I tweeted a YouTube video of somebody going through his his Philip K. Dick book collection, and it's fun because. He's, you know, spending 11 minutes describing every Philip K. Dick novel, right? Uh, not 11 minutes each, just 11 minutes total. So he goes through the book and he's getting almost everything wrong, but the details are, are wrong, but the actual book gist is about right. And basically ends up saying, this is a really weird book. <laughs> and then he describes it in three sentences, right? And then this is a really weird book. <laughs> and this is one of his underrated books and most of them are underrated, you know? Um, anyways, he picks up um, Man in the High Castle. Oh, sorry, I didn't there. notice, um, but it, it's it's a uh, it's a good More video. You should watch it. In any case, oh, probably. Um, <laughs> uh, in any case, he holds up Man in the High Castle, and he says the idea is inside this book. There's a book that's about our reality, right? So when I first started reading the Man in the High Castle, I'm like, oh my god, that's so awesome! And then what does Philip K. Dick do? Says, well, it's not really our reality. That book is a, a description of a world kind of similar to ours, but it's not our world, right? So Philip K. Dick's premise here is it's the ovens, right? You step... Uh, mm-hmm. uh, my my first impression was that actually it's there is no teleportation device. It's just an oven, right? It doesn't transmit you thought, anywhere. Yeah. It's there, just there, a, you put your luggage over here. Yeah, the Doctor Who episode Mind Warp where people go one way into a... Into, into a time-space thing that kills them sort of thing. Yeah, it's it's a microwave, right? And so you're transmitted uh, via transporter beam like Star Trek, except there's no other end, right? You're just disintegrated. And mm-hmm. that's why Ben Applebaum's job is to is to go... Uh, I mean, he's a Jew from his title, right? Yeah. Um, he's, he's there to prove that the ovens are real, that these rumors of, of the death camps... Because what what did the Germans do? They somehow managed to take over the UN, and now are running yeah, G- the G- planet. Germany reunites yeah. and becomes the world the world power because it's kind of implied. Yeah, like the US and Russia kind of exhaust themselves, and Germany takes 
takes the center yeah, in the box. That's right. The United States is like, ah, oh, this is tiring. He's done this either. No, it's not. Of course, the man at High Castle, but I think another one that's often overlooked is the simulacrum. Sure. Um, like the Germans running the post-war world. Or even if you think about I mean, Dr. Blood Money, Blood. right? He's the equivalent of yeah. uh, of uh, the Nazi scientists who, you know, get denazified and then are running the space program, right? So this is a cons- active concern uh, that <laughs> Philip K. Dick was having. Um, maybe it's not uh, explicable in the sense that he can't say it. Uh, I'm worried that the United States is becoming a Nazi nation. Um, so he just writes stories in which it does kind of and we see that even in what's the uh really underrated book um now wait for last year right where yeah. i i think that's such a great book because it's basically it's he's saying well they're not nazis they're they're uh, italian fascists right and and the nazis are actually the superman f- aliens who are trying to c- convince us our our uh very sick leader to uh to send us off to be stormtroops in uh their version of Africa African space war. This is a good book for you, Will. You will you should I, read it's it. It's actually the first dick novel I ever oh, read. Oh it's great. I it at a class <laughs> awesome. Um and so that's all in here, but then when we find out what it is on the other side after the giant L S D sequence, which was like, what? <laughs> That's going. I mean, there's a lot of. That's not even in the right place in the novel. Oh my god, it's so weird. <laughs> it's, it's like that chapter in Doctor Blood Money that's out of place. And he he keeps saying the THL soldier, the THL soldier, like, the THL soldier. After Applebaum transports, that's where it all. Indeed. Yeah, yeah, it's, it does feel wrongly placed. But there's that chapter in Doctor Blood Money where the same thing happened. And I still don't know if that's an editorial thing or if Dick put that in there just to mess with us. There's a there's there's a chapter in Doctor Blood Money that's out of place, mm-hmm. and I haven't uh, I haven't seen a good explanation of why it's out of place. I think we and I think we mentioned been, that on the podcast yeah. too. It's like yeah. why is yeah. this here? This is wrong. Am I reading that um, this whole like Alice Day sequence in super crazy heat without aircon. Oh, God. Like, I felt like I was like, having oh, a Oh, boy. Your brain is overheating. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because I was like, wait, am I actually reading this? It, it, it's so similar to, I mean, that's another one. It's so similar to uh, Scanner Darkly. You know, scenes mm-hmm. in there. But those are played for comedy, whereas this is like played for uh, trauma. Right, it's, I think it, it's more it, like the faith of our fathers. Or yes. Models, well, uh, the, the faith of our f- experience is really horrific. Yes. Yeah. yeah. It, it, it's not meant. To, yeah, it's meant as very negative and very bad. Well, even the way when the soldier, um, like throws the dart with the LSD in it, like even the way he says it is so um, threatening. Like he's like, enjoy your mind expansion. Right. <laughs> wow. <laughs> that's, uh, that's not ominous at all. Yeah. The the uh, no there's. Go for it. No, I was going to say there's there's another opera connection besides Tales of Hoffman. Oh, yeah? Which I didn't pick up on. What is it? Anyone know? No. No. It's the- well, it's 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 the Fliegen de Hollander, the, the Flying Dutchman. Ah. Oh, yeah. Uh, and there's a, actually an article or a book uh, called The Flying Dutchman and the Wandering Jew and Wagner's Anti-Semitism. There's a, it's an article, I guess, you can read. Um, but... This connection between the wandering Jew motif, mm. which 
Apple bomb is intending to be. Right. Right. And right. in fact, it's called out, but it's called out later on when the president of New Colonized Land says something like, oh, let's celebrate Flying Dutchman Day. And hmm. we're going to wait for him to come 30, 15 years, 17, 18, what is it, 18, 18 years? 18 years, yeah. Yeah, 18 years later, he'll show up like the Flying Dutchman, right? Hmm. I don't know how often the Flying Dutchman manifests in the original mythology or even in the opera. I don't know off the top of my head, but that's about the right period of time, mm-hmm. right? And yeah, 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 yeah. this relation, but there's there seems to be, and it's not really that clear, but there's some relationship between the wandering Jew motif and the flying Dutchman motif mm-hmm. in mm-hmm. like folklore and in Wagner's opera itself. So, it's it's important. Course, it, it's Dick, a- Dick knew Wagner like really well, better than any of us. I mean, oh yeah, no, he's wait, so wait, he, was really original, into, he was really into Wagner. Yeah. Well, the original the myth is Holland, a ghost ship that can never make a port. Right, because yeah, until he finds like love or something, he's got to find like, he's got to like. So in the opera, I know the opera better. He goes to a port and finally finds like love, right? And then it doesn't work out for whatever reason, or she has to sacrifice herself to save him. I don't know, whatever it is. Mm -hmm. There's a Roger Zelazny story where someone escapes from the Flying Dutchman to get to rescue another ship, which is the Marie Celeste. Hmm. Oh, this is cool. And on the Wikipedia, it says. If hailed by another ship, the crew of the Flying Dutchman will try to send messages to land or to people long dead. Mm. Yeah, yeah, because it's because it's stuck out of time. Ah, that's cool. Mm-hmm. It, it's like Brigadoon except for ship. So I, 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 I tweeted it. this. I tweeted uh, a quote about this about the relationship between the Wandering Jew and the Flying Dutchman earlier today. That's interesting. Uh, my um, my opa. Um, I never understood what it was, but he had a van that had the Flying Dutchman written on the back with a huge painting of the ship, and I forgot that I wanted to like look at it. Uh, well, he he his openness tells me that he's uh, Dutch. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Dutch. He's talking about himself. That's <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. fun. Um, so Umphalos is uh, the name of his ship, right? Uh, that he's the inheritor of this this company that is going out of business. I feel like the whole sequence there is inspired by Philip K. Dick being, uh, going into for a traffic ticket to get his car uh, unimpounded. <laughs> Basically. Yeah. Like he's like, I have no assets. <laughs> I can't drive. I can't drive it. And the police officers are very sexy. Uh, our meter maids, a very sexy lady. Um, he he noticed her quote unquote articulated breasts. I don't know what that means, <laughs> <Yeah>. but uh, <laughs> yeah, he yeah. noticed them, and he's busy trying that to think about. Good. He's trying to think about how to get his car out of Hawk, uh, <laughs> because he so needs to go that. across the country to prove that the the uh, the the new frontier that his his then wife. <laughs> thinks that they should move to or he thinks they should move to isn't a concentration camp or a death camp or something oh it's very philip k dick (laughs) Uh, those two things about the impulse one thing it reminded me of the nauvoo from the expanse universe where you had this big arc ship that could would take years to get to another solar system but winds up never actually going and side personal note the the impulse is the name of my big enemy in my long-running by email role-playing game because they think oh, they're the funny. center of all universes and yeah and the naval right so this is this naval, is exactly. this is kind of a 
a funny idea. Uh, and this is something Phil Kiddick wrote about quite a bit. Um, Frozen Journey is one of his late short stories. I think it's in Omni. Um, and there's another novel, and I can't remember which one it is, but it's basically people, well, actually some of the, there's, there's quite a few of them now that I think about. What was the one where all the blacks were being frozen and the browns were being frozen? That's crack in space. space. Crack in space, okay. Um, people are being frozen and during their journey, uh, having sort of slowed down dream, dream time, extended dream time. That's what a lot of this book feels like. Um, I mean, there's some sequences that are exactly like that, but th- even the fact that the guy's busy shaving and thinking, I, I want to go fly to uh, uh, the Burger King and get a burger. Um, uh, but not a burger. I want bur- burger uh, cheeseburger crumbs. And then my yeah, it was like my uh, my string, my string. Fred's gonna take my string. <laughs> um, we get so the, the rat sequence. This is you know, I tweet about him. This is how dreams are exactly like dreams, right? So he is. I don't. I don't remember him ever talking about his dreams in letters or any conversations. But this is. No, we just have his novel. It, I mean, he's been in interviews and stuff, and you know, he he talks in videos and stuff. So it's not like we have a lot of his philokitic letters around. But what we do know is that his books can be very dreamlike, and dreaming and writing are related, especially when you're writing lies, aka fiction. Um, so uh, the fact that they've got a book, or at least at the center of it, this company called Lies Inc., right? Uh, and they're so- sending messages that the police are your friends, but no, they're not really, that's propaganda, right? Like, this is very, very, very dreamlike sequences. So, I think it's possible to think about the way Phil K. Dick writes as being accessing his dreams. Because when I'm busy tweeting a dream out very early in the morning, I'm, I have a connection to, what I was just experiencing in the same way that you have a connection to what you were experiencing this morning. You could write it down now if you wanted, but it's not uh, a photograph of your dream. So when he starts getting these images into characters, minds, they're all him, right? So Ben Applebaum is, is him for sure. The, the women a little less. So they're people he knows or a lady he saw, right? But he also has them being police officers, which is not something probably he was seeing a lot of. Right? So I think that even though this is like a a terrible car crash of a collage of good philokatic stuff, if you look at it as a dream, uh, you know, dream notes, it makes it sort of more valuable, I think. Because the plot is a mess the way... Sorry, go for it. Uh, I was going to agree with you about the car crash, but not till the end. Like, I feel like when I was reading this, well, the untold, untold man mostly, mm-hmm. I was super into it. I was thinking this was going to be one of my favorite mm-hmm. Philip K. Dicks, maybe. It was such a cool story. And then the car crash happens mm-hmm. in the last quarter, and it, well, it just unraveled for me. I don't know what happened. <laughs> yeah, it's. It, it, I think yeah. we need to read more novellas that haven't been fiddled with by publishers. Is what I think. 
So I would be totally up to if we can get an audiobook of just the unteleported man, the original. By the way, less than half the size, just slightly less. I did the numbers last night. I uh, did OCR on the original text from the magazine. Yeah, so 29,000 words. And then there's like 31,000 of new material that's not since mm-hmm. that. And that, and that, that can't be all improved stuff, right? He was able to yeah, sell sure. that, that original. But, uh, but now that the market's really- changed, people, I mean, that's what he was doing so much. So many of his books are, you know, put three stories together. Uh, it, one of the ones that I noticed in here, did you guys notice the Runnels? No. Yeah. That's a rhetorizer, uh, vocab word. Um, the, the Ped Runnels. That was in a short story, and I'm trying oh, to remember, yeah. what was it? Or was it a novel? Um, where the, the, the dad takes his kid to the unemployment office, um, and he stops at the bar on the way. <laughs> I don't remember what Isn't story it was. Friends of Frolax 8? Yeah, that's, that's exactly it. Friends of Frolax 8. Yeah, yeah, because he did that. Off right. To be tested. right, right. To be testing the bar. Right. And then there's just pills. There's, it's a pill bar. Right, the uh, the son that's probably uh, in real life some sort of, or maybe a neighbor or whatever, uh, autistic. also when we can remember for you wholesale. Right. It, it's it's interesting, right? So he's reusing these these things. We've got the, uh, the what are, what are the... Jalopies in this one called flapples. Flapples. He uh, flapples, there was yeah. there was a vocab word uh, uh, def, deflapple <laughs> to get out of the yeah. flapple. <laughs> um, the letty okay. is only All mentioned right, once, um, and it's carrying the luggage, right? So if you kind of squint, you you can almost say this is all set in the same universe, right? And you say, oh, this is after World War Three, but uh, before you know. Uh, this other colonization of Venus or whatever. His, uh, his, there is a consistency despite it being so messy. Um, and the consistency is always Philip K. Dick and his in, uh, auto facts all over this book. Right? Yeah. Yeah, there's auto facts. But about the, the added stuff, mm-hmm. I, I think that's where, like, the problem. Like, Indeed. I think the Unteleport event does stand on its own. And it's when mm-hmm. Howie added this new stuff. Because it's coming from a different phase in his career, yeah. Where he has different ideas, and you talked about the dream mm-hmm. like, aspect of it, but I, I think, I think Dick is very bothered by like the solipsism of dreams, mm-hmm. and, uh, just the solipsistic experience, like this loneliness of this kind of experience. So when you look at books like Three Stigmata, Palmer Eldridge, right? Why is Candy better than Choosy? Mm-hmm. Why do most characters in that book think Candy is better? Sorry, Will. I guess you didn't read this one, but um, nope. Candy is a collective. It's a gestalt experience. Mm-hmm. Choosy is, is solipsistic. Or take Galactic Pot Healer, where the what's so great about that novel, I think, is this realization that this collective experience, whether mm-hmm. it's raising a temple from the ocean or joining with Glimmon, at the end, it's something. There's something in that. He, he's, um, he needs a church community, even for in sure. Even Faith in Our Fathers. Here's the thing. In Faith in My Fathers, which, again, was written around the same time, right? Mm-hmm. Everyone is experiencing a delusion because they're all taking hallucinogenics, which makes them see a false reality. But when they take this drug, which is an anti-hallucinogen, they see one of 12. They see a diversity of experiences. Mm-hmm. And then the struggle is, well, what's the real one? And, and right. how can we have 
a, a shared experience, and that's what the whole a shared reality novel is. Yeah, yeah. Where do we find the shared reality? And yeah. in this novel, you have that same concept with the para universes. Is that mm-hmm. the word he uses? Yeah, para universe or para universes. Para worlds. It's like a para world. Yeah, it's a para like a para world is real if we both experience it, mm-hmm. right? If it's just a dream that only I experience, it's kind of lonely, isolating, horrifying. But if we both can say, I've experienced the same thing, now that becomes something that joins us together. Mm-hmm. And I think this search for a gestalt, this search for a community is so key. Eye in the sky, wow. In yeah. this period, in yeah. this period of his writing. Dude, you're... you're, you're, you're sense, this novel is part of that. You should write a book on Philip K. Dick. You're, you got it. You unlocked the key. The two parts don't fit together, the two parts don't fit together because... One is like a more of a dissertation on like the failure of the frontier, mm-hmm. and the other is and state authoritarianism, all those issues which Dick had already kind of dealt with back in the fifties and early sixties. Um, and it, actually, even going back to like uh, Eye in the Sky, mm-hmm. right, where the horror of that novel is that we all have our own individual perspective on the universe. None of us can share. None of us see the world the same way. Mm-hmm. That's what's so frightening about. Uh, eye in the sky, I think, mm-hmm. is is that each of us actually do see the world entirely differently, and mm-hmm. therefore there's no foundation for solidarity. You, you unlocked it. I am now on your team. Uh, I want to I want to build on <laughs> what uh, what Evan was just talking about there, and uh, actually kind of get Evan's perspective on another thing here because uh, he's probably already thought about this other piece of it I've been thinking about. Um, so uh, so obviously the uh, this you know, striving for this, uh, you know, shared perspective, um, you know, plays a large role in the, the insert of this novel. I know that's why you're bringing it up here. Um, uh, you know, here we have it, the, here we're afraid of, of cohering though, right? Here we're afraid of having a shared perspective. Um, well, yeah, they, but isn't it also isn't also they say like if we both have the same experience, that's a real thing. It's, it's right, and real. they're afraid of not it. just that, well, they're, they're afraid of yeah, they're afraid yeah. of particular ones that might actually be the real thing. So yeah. the, 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 there's there's apprehension over different possibilities as to which parallel world is real. But that's the case in Faith in Our Fathers too. It's like it's possible that the true reality behind everything is horrific, and it is in that story. But yeah, but, but 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 there's but there's there's no uh, explanation like oh which one is worse than the others whereas here it's like oh the the the, the one apple bomb sees oh that's a bad parallel reality that can't be the real one better not be the real one it's, mm-hmm. it's a different tone well well you're right but if we both realize that that i mean it's a uh, you know maybe somebody who knows more about like quantum stuff can talk about this but uh i mean it seems like uh so uh my perception of uh this para world that's like you know, totally messed up is only a problem if uh, other people have that same perception of that para world, right? Um, and uh, yeah, I mean that's that. So I mean, I feel like that uh, th- there's a rich metaphor there if you want to mine it, right? Yeah, I see what you mean. Yeah, yeah I, like I can't a, stop thinking about his other works, though. That's the uh, yeah. Probably. See, and that that's why my perspective is valuable here because I haven't read yeah. everything by him. Uh, so, uh, so, I mean, that, that kind of stands out to me as, as kind of a jarring thing is, um, 
what we're afraid of is us realizing the problem together, right? Like if we if we both know this thing is messed up, then it becomes real. Mm-hmm. But if only I know this thing is messed up, uh, or only you know this thing is messed up, we can like continue our like. You're getting into lives. politics now. <laughs> well, it's politics, but it's also American culture, right? Like, American politics, yeah. Yeah, no, but it's Amer- It's not just politics. It's not just formal politics. It's deeper than that. Yeah. Um, that's like this is this is like this is a very American ideology mm. uh, for us to not uh, want to talk about something that's wrong. I'm sure they have this problem in other countries, and I'm, you know, yeah. my uh, my own uh, my own cultural background is I'm uh, I come from you know like an Anglo Protestant background. I, I think Dick probably has a similar cultural background. Um, so I, I think that that's uh, something going on here. And then the other part of this novel that stands out to me is just totally murky. Uh, even among all the other murky things are, are the natives or the hypothetical natives of this uh, hypothetical frontier, right? Um, hmm. Yeah, uh, it's underdeveloped. So, yeah, yeah, but I, I want to try to tease this out a little bit because there's, uh, there's definitely something here. Can I read so, that section? Um, because please, please. Uh, this is also a book I know you've read, uh, Galactic Pot Healer. So this yeah. is from chapter 13 of the uh, original Unteleported Man. Uh, here it is. Hoarsely, its voice thickened by a mouthful, which it still continued to chew. The creature said, Good morning, I have your book for you. Sign here. One of its pseudopodia convulsed, and its tip lathered in a spasm, which, after an interval, fumbled for the bulky old-style bound-in-boards volume, which it placed on a small plastic table before Rachmel. What book is this? he demanded presently. His mind, numbed, refused to interfere as his fingers poked haphazardly at the gold, handsome gold-stamped book which the creature had presented him. The fundamental reference source in this survey instruction... The cephalopod or a cephalopodic organism answers as it's laboriously filled out a long printed form. It made use of two pseudopodia and two writing instruments simultaneously, enormously speeding up its intricate task. Dr. Blood's great primary work in the 17th edition, it swiveled the book to show him the ornate spine, the true and complete economic and political history of new colonized land. Uh, that's all one word. It informed him, in a severe, dignified tone of voice, as if reproving him for his unfamiliarity with the volume, or rather, he realized suddenly, as if it assumed that the title would have overpowering influence alone, without additional aid. Hmm, he said, that's still uh, still nonplussed to say the least, and he thought, it can't be, but it it is, para-world witch, question mark? Not precisely as it had manifested itself before. This was not blue, capital B, that's the para world, uh, because his glimpse of that ratified by the other weevils had contained a psychoplasmic organism. And this, for all its similarity to the aquatic horror shape, had been reason of its compound multi-eyed system, a fundamentally different aspect. Could this actually be the authentic underlying reality, he wondered? The macro abomination that it resembled nothing ever witnessed by him before? A question monstrosity, a grotesque monstrosity which seemed as he watched it devour and consume to its evident satisfaction the remainder of its eyes. Almost a parody of the aquatic horror shape? This book, the creature intoned, demonstrates beyond any doubt whatsoever 
that the plan to colonize the ninth planet of the Formahalt system is su- is foolish. No such colony has as the projected new colonized land can be established. We owe a great debt to Dr. Blood for his complete elucidation of this complex to- topic. It giggled then, a wet, slurred, wobbly giggle of delight- delighted mirth. So w- the next thing we get is him opening it up, and then he- his eyes swim, and he can't focus on the text for a minute, and then he can get the text. This is the book of the Kalends, right? From Galactic yeah. Pot Healer. Which but I think what's yeah. important here, mm-hmm. Jesse, is and here maybe this is kind of me doing a, a a meta interpretation of Dick that's maybe premature, not not supported. But so much like if you ask people who maybe read a little filth Dick, what they know about him, it's like shifting realities mm-hmm. is kind of thing people go to, right? Yep. Or the what is humanity? But I don't think Dick is insecure that there is a truth. Uh, the book's called Lies Inc., right? Mm-hmm. And I think we agree that that's not like his preferred title. But in what Dick novel is there not a reality? Is there not a truth? Because yes, the truth is there's liars, there's fake, there's false fronts in so many of his books. But there's always the truth. And here the book provides that. It's a true history. <laughs> it says right? it is. And in the end and the end there is a reality about New Colonized Land that's revealed. It's it's a bit mixed up by the, the that it middle is. section. Mm-hmm. Obviously. Yeah. But but if you just take Unteleporter Land, there is a truth about it. And I think that's the case in most of his books. Is that although there are false fronts and shifting realities, there's always a truth if you strive for it. And that's truth is almost always something that's arrived at through some kind of solidarity. Mm-hmm. That, ma- that makes sense to me. And I think I there's, like a, there's some optimism in Dick that I think is not always appreciated by people who see him. Get uh, closer to the mic, Will. Uh, okay. Sorry. I, I want to uh, yeah. keep uh, mining this thread because I think we can unpack the natives here if we keep, if we keep pulling at this. Um, so... Uh, so what are the native? So in different para worlds, like what do the natives do in this novel? So we have the this like you know grotesque creature eating its own eyes, who like gives him uh, what might be the objective truth. Then we have some other versions of them. Um, there's uh, the version of them that. Uh, uh, so what do we know about these natives in some of these para worlds? Like one, uh, their genes are stronger than our genes. Um, like you create the like hybrid the like uh being that like doesn't want to be a native but is a native um and then there's the like like false front uh the natives who have like come back and like are like controlling society right like these are the different versions of them am i missing anything it's uh, it's so undercooked that i can't i can't say that you're wrong for sure um it, I think I keep thinking about how why Galactic Pot Healer is the best book, <laughs> and the, um, the the best dick, yeah, the best big novel, the I mean, the best dick novel. Had the argument, and the the reason I keep coming back to is because it has uh, Nick and the Glimmung uh, as its Silmarillion, right? He really thought through this world in a in a, a book, and then he's that book didn't sell, and then he recycled that world giving it a, a deeper history. Here, the shifting realities are so um, 
disconnected because of the way it was edited together that I think that the coming to a, a, a conclusion, which I think Evan is right about, that there always is a truth to be, to be discovered until later on when Philip K. Dick reads the story again and says, you know, this book was wrong. <laughs> and then he goes and rewrites it, right? Which didn't happen that much, but he will often take a, a story and then recycle it into a, into a novel. And then in, in that doing, rewrite it. So, what is this book essentially about? It's not about teleportation. The teleportation is the excuse to talk about what he's really interested in, which is why did the why did the Jews get killed in ovens, right? So this new colonized land, right? It, it sounds a little bit like New Zealand, um, Newfound yeah. Land, right? All of these places for uh, immense amounts of human history, people have been going off and colonizing new places, leaving the community that they're in, getting on a boat, going away, and maybe not having any communication back from them for years on end, or not at all. Right? Getting a message, we're going back to the ship, right? Uh, the Flying Dutchman. Getting a message back in into the homeland, to your family, to the people who, who uh, stayed behind, how does it make you feel as a person who doesn't emigrate to see all these people emigrating, leaving the country? It says, "Am I?" it's like kind of fear of missing out, right? And the Jews in Europe, in Poland, in, in France, they're being told, here comes the, here comes the officials. You need to pack a bag, make sure you have all your documents. You're going this way. Don't worry. The trains are going to take you to a new place where you will colonize the east right it's all a lie a big lie and then we get a reveal and it turns out it's not the ovens it's something else um so that that turn that's a very philip k dick thing but i also feel like he's he's taken uh, if we think of this book as a coherent whole he's taken away for way too much for us to have a really good take on the natives because they're kind of like Glimmung, right? In shape, uh, but not in power. Uh, and yet the not in narrative space in the book itself is just not. Yes, there indeed. There to really critique and, and the way and the book of the Kalans works in, in, um, in, uh, Galactic yeah. Pot Healer is impre- incredibly important for the journey of the main character, right? Who is looking He's, it, that's why it's such a good book. Is he is he is sort of subject to this this need that the author has, which is to find community and meaning, right? And so when in in joining this great endeavor to raise the temple that he's never even heard of, raise Haldskala, he's come to a kind of uh, uh he's found a purpose. They they form a union, right? Literally, um, yeah. and and they and they fight their demons together. Here we've got a bunch of disconnected things, and then we have the this LSD sequence, which sort of fucks things up, and and then it doesn't resolve properly. I think this is why Marissa doesn't like that last quarter of the book because it it doesn't resolve in the way we want it to. The way the this book ends, the uh, original, um, or not the original, the one that they're calling the 1966 version. Um, the sentence is very philokatic 
great ending, right? It's, uh, it goes like this. Uh, thinking that, he paused before entering the area of light in the darkness of the side street, unnoticed by the passers-by. He scrutinized Freya Holm a long, long period. Hmm, he said, half aloud, contemptive, contemplatively. What are you thinking about, Freya asked shyly, her dark, full lashes trembling as she returned to returned his stare. The years of deep sleep ahead of you? Not quite that, Rachmel answered. Something a little more this side of sleep. Uh, that I think that's a quote from something, this side of sleep, um, but connected with it. He put his arms around her. Gee, Freya said after a time. <laughs> and then the final line, in his pocket, the container of components hummed happily. This is almost like a sex metaphor here. <laughs> okay, I'm so confused right now. Which version is this? This is the sickmyduck.nayrod.ru uh, okay, version. Under Unteleported Man. They say at the beginning of this text, it's copyright 1966. This is two years after the uh, publication in uh, Fantastic. And it has a quote at the beginning saying, Philip K. Dick's Unteleported Man was published in 1966 by Ace Books in a version which is some 30,000 words were cut for commercial reasons. Many years later, Dick reread the material for the first time at the urging of then Berkeley Books editor Mark Hurst and agreed to allow Berkeley to republish the book with the missing material restored. Four pages of the manuscript have been lost in that time, and Dick's intention to recreate those pages for the new edition. He never lived to do so, suddenly dying and tragically in 82. Somebody did something, added some stuff, lost pages. So, yeah, and Williams found okay. some of the pages. Right. I, yeah. Uh, so the version with the t- with the added thirty thousand words mm-hmm. are we not calling that is that not lies ink? That's, that's they're lies calling ink. they're calling it uh, yes that's lies ink that's the yeah. version that we're okay. hearing in audio. Right. So did anyone read the unteleported man uh, with the text cut? The the text the, cut. So the original in the original, I didn't I didn't read. I only thing I read was lies ink and and all the stuff around it but I didn't okay. read the original yeah, by itself. Marissa, what I did when I when I did my original podcast, which is years ago now, um, is I did two episodes on The Unteleported Man, and, or on My Zinc, I mean. And I took, I only, for the first episode, I only did The Unteleported Man stuff. And for the second, so I, I kind of artificially cut it. And then I did an episode on the added material. Okay, so, because... I read the Ace Double, right? The Unteleported mm-hmm. Man and the Ace Double. And right. there's no cephalopods. Right. No, there's that's no, all added. Yeah, that's all the added. Yeah. But the story yeah. is also different because uh, Rackmail stays on his ship the whole time and Matson goes to Whale's Mouth. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's different. Mm. Yeah. Rockmail. So like, we need, we need uh, some rogue yeah. cuts. To yeah, that's why res- I think I, I yeah. do think it's important to talk about these natives because of the because of the addition. Like I, I think that he's actually doing something here. Um, I'll, I'll drop it forever. Uh, no, no, keep after. going if you got some. Yeah, no, I have two. I have two. No, I have two things I'm going to do before I drop it forever. Um, uh, one I think can just elucidate the conversation of the novel generally, um, and that's to uh, uh, ask Evan a question, and that's. Uh, you mentioned there is an objective truth in this novel. Uh, just in case our uh, our listeners missed it, what is the objective <laughs> truth in this novel? 
Well, at least, I mean, I might be wrong, but I think it's that there's basically an authoritarian state on uh, new colonized land that's taking the emigres and making them slave labor. And so, um, in the, uh, now, in the, uh, in the interrupt, a, a, now, where does it come from? Where does the delusion come from? Like, there's, see, it's not clear to me, to be honest. Is it the LSD dart? I'm not sure. I, I don't think it is. I think or the it's teleporters. Either sickness. the teleportion itself, um, or some experience that all emigres go through. I'm not, or was it the LSD dart? I guess those are the two ready explanations. And, and then my, my follow-up I'm not question, sure. my follow-up question is, in this objective reality where there's this, uh, like, kind of, uh, uh, I mean, the cultural image is Stalinism, um, that's been set up, uh, when it's set up, uh, is there, are these natives there when it's set up and are they exterminated or are the natives a delusion? They're not in, the, they're not in that part of, like, if you take out that delusion stuff, and you just have like the unteleported man story, and even if you add Rock Mellis as the one who teleports, it's this that stuff's not there. Okay. Think. All right. That, I think that's an uh, I think that's important to think yeah. about um, uh, if we're thinking about this uh, along frontier themes, American themes. Um, do we have a? Yeah. I mean, are we are we colonizing essentially like a, a vacant land that like has never existed in real life? Right. That's that's always been a fantasy. Yeah, Terra Nullis. Uh, yeah, yeah. So, but if we're colonizing Terra Nullis, like it's a it's a different thing. Um, and then the the last thing I have to say about the natives is, um, so we have this you know figure who's a native who is, uh, um, you know the eye eater that has the like super spy as part of him. Um, so I want to return to the person of of Ben Applebaum for a second. Um, and so we obviously know that he's the Jew in this story, and he's like after the Germans, um, Mm -hmm. and, you know, that, we've talked about that. There's another aspect of him that's underdeveloped, uh, much like the native things. Uh, so, when, the only time where we really talk about his, uh, uh, identity is in this, uh, is in this dream sequence, or this LSD sequence, um, and I'm just gonna quote it, uh, uh, Arab-Israeli, question mark, Mm. uh, Gretchen Borgman said, from the Federation of Semitic Peoples. Um, so, uh, so, you know, Ben Applebaum, he's the Jew in this story. He's also the fusion of the native and the settler colonist, right? Mm-hmm. Like, he's also supposed to yeah. be Arab. That's, I mean, I know it's undercooked. That's yeah. just what I got. Yeah, it's undercooked by, I see what you're saying. Okay. Yeah, but I think uh, it's undercooked. But it's it's because it's here. a dream, right? So, the, the, the really cool thing about Philip K. Dick is he can bring it all together when he, when when he's not being edited by other people um he can is capable of bringing it all together into that beautiful bow right where you you see something at the beginning of the book and you see something at the end of the book and all the rambling and conversations and boob looking in the middle all the coffee the fake coffee in the middle it all sort of fits together and and has meaning because he can bring it together and tie it all off in a in a kind of neat little bow, and here we don't have that. Here, it, it's it's like front heavy, and then it spins out of control, and then somebody puts a break on here, and and that I tweeted tweeted uh, retweeted somebody's <sighs> uh, got my head straight on the 
history of the unteleported man. Um, and there's like one, two, three, four, five or six revisions on this, right? So there's the original A from Fantastic. And then there's, uh, uh, it was published by Ace. And then there was a 1965 version that went away until uh, 1983. And there's a 1979 version, which went to, uh, into 1984. And then Philip K. Dix has died in between. And uh, Paul Williams found three segments that he shoved in in the middle of the B sequ- sequence. And then there's the A and the C and the D all shoved together in the 2003 vintage publication, which I think is the one we heard. No wonder it doesn't make any sense, right? So, yeah, the fact that these aliens, the natives, uh, they don't have the relationship we can figure out because I don't think they were resolved. They weren't really resolved. Those pages were not edited. They weren't turned into what, like, Philip K. Dick is actually a really good writer. Not always, but he can be. And that's not what we have here. We have uh, a sort of a mash mashup of notes. This is very much a uh, August Derleth style uh, collaboration in the sense that you know they didn't put their names on it, but they're they seek to profit by retitling and repackaging a book uh, that isn't uh, literally. It was less than half the size of what we see now. Right? Yeah, I think the Unteleported Man, the one I read, like the original. Um, is a good story. Like, yeah. If he was going to add to it, I think it, I think adding to it was the like the idea that Rachmal stays on his ship for the whole story. Like he starts out the main character, gets on his ship for his eighteen year journey, and then he just he just sits there the whole time mm-hmm. while Matson takes over as the main character. And I just thought that was so yeah. funny. And I feel like he could have expanded on that, like what happened to Rachmal if he stayed out in space longer, or mm-hmm. you know, like. So, it's a really good story there and kind of hilarious setup. Yeah, it's 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 it, it has all the makings for one of his classics, right? Yeah, it feels like it could, it's a Doctor Blood Money or um, No Way for Last Year or anything like that. And just the fact that Rachmel is he's doing this because you know his business is crumbling and he's like frustrated and he wants to go like it's, take down this other business. It's, I don't know. It's just such a funny setup. It, it's it's a, such a philokatic setup. He's uh-huh. a- analogizing his own life. They've taken everything from me. Help me! Help me! Is what he's saying. Eighteen years. I'm gonna do it. That's right. <laughs> I, I want to talk about Matson a little bit because. Mm-hmm. The, the, vid, the, the book we got is called Lai Zing, right? Mm-hmm. And, and that puts a certain idea in your head, especially when you read it. Sure does. Book. What company does Matson and Freya work for? They work for Lai Zing, right? Mm-hmm. Right. And what do they do? They tell lies. The, <laughs> they don't. They're, they're actually like a private investigator kind of firm, a, a major private investigator firm. Mm-hmm. They're not the big liar. What are they after? What is Matson after? What's his motivation mm. in the novel? Is it a lie? The American his dream. Motivation is the truth. His motivation is the truth. Mm. Rock Mel comes to him and says, "I'm going to take this 18 year trip," and Matson says, "Like, I'm not going to live that long. I want to know the truth about New Colonized Land too. I'm just not going to wait for you to come back and." 40 years. Right, 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 this whole push and pull about, yeah, maybe you won't the have real to leave liar, if I put I mean, it out. 
the company maintaining the lie is not lies ink. It's it trails the Hoffman. Mm-hmm. I just think that's a that's kind of a clever mm. a little bit of a twist. I guess. Lies yeah. lies stands for is, listening, uh, instructional, the educational the services. Yeah. Right. It's the thing is. Um, yeah. Thing, it is. There you go. And that, yeah, and that again, something you see that, that game is right in the beginning of um, Galactic Pot Healer, right? Where he's playing the telephone game, a translation game. This is uh, this is something you know that Philip K. Dick obviously just really enjoyed. He, he gets this phrase in his yeah. brain, and he has to write it down, and then it becomes part of the book. But uh, well, we were talking that about that before the show started. Mm-hmm. How Galactic Pot Healer has like two visions of the internet, which I think are both very, very real. One is this kind of, when you're bored at work, you engage in various games. Mm-hmm. I guess now it's multiplayer role-playing games or mm-hmm. Facebook or whatever, but it's it, you're bouncing memes off each other. In that book, it was that game about like puns, right? Right. Punt and book titles. But the other vision of the internet is like the Book of the Calends, which is a, an automatically updated uh, record mm-hmm. of what's going on in the world, right? And a prediction. Up to the moment. But we have this today, right? We, I was complaining there isn't a really good Philip K. Dick wiki, but there is a really good wiki for a show that started like a week ago. Right. Well, uh, books are not popular. Evan. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I wanted to I ask know. you guys as well, like, um, you read Moby Dick recently, but I haven't read it, but I'm getting a lot of Moby Dick from this hmm. story. Well, the whale's mouth, right? It's right in there. Yeah, um, and I thought like Rechmail, that. That, that makes me. Ishmael. Yeah, I didn't think about that, but it, it sounds a lot. I think he's doing a Jonah sort of thing there, yeah, right? Yeah, I was about to say whale's mouth. I, I got a Jonah vibe from that, going into the darkness. It's you know, like it's almost like a hero's journey, going to the heart of the darkness of this place and then coming out again. But the mm-hmm. whole LCD sequence and added stuff kind of the white you know, whale like, <laughs> strike, strike. What what's beyond the mask? Right. This is the the that great sequence from the Shakespearean section of, of uh, Moby Dick. It, it, it is... It, my friend... Um, one of my friends sent me a, uh, a new study. Was it in Nature? About the relationship between... Uh, a study, basically, uh, of looking at the relationship between um, elevated rates of autism and other neurodevelopmental neurodevelopmental and psychiatric diagnosis in uh transgender and gender diverse individuals and and this <laughs> and the phrase he used to describe this article untalkable about right <laughs> because you can't talk you you can't talk about this article <laughs> um it, because no matter what it says whether it's it says there's uh, a, a correlation or there isn't a correlation um, you're going to get into trouble to talk about it. Uh, but ultimately, I think it's, it's, uh, it is what Evan always says and what I always think about. Um, there is no, underneath that mask of identity, there's just more onion, right? It's just, you keep peeling yeah. and eventually the onion's gone. And you say, Oh, apparently I wasn't transgender. I wasn't, uh, gay. I wasn't, uh, a, a man who was brought up by Catholics. I am nothing. <laughs> like there's nothing there underneath, right? And that's kind of the message of, uh, yeah. Ishmael, uh, well, Ishmael disappears in that book, right? And it becomes Ahab's story. 
Ahab is on a journey that's a very Philip K. Dick-like journey. He's basically, the universe fucked me by giving me birth. I'm going to fucking pay it back and find out what's really fucking going on around here. <laughs> and then he sort of aims that at a particular whale, right? And it's it's the whiteness of the whale that bothers me. It is it is a it is it is challenging me by its very existence. And oh. I'm going to have to take all of you down with me on this ship. I don't care. Uh, you're going to you're going to get on board with this this creative project. And it's a very Philip K. Dick book if you think about what its goals are. So you're right, uh, Marissa. There is a connection. It's just, it's not, uh, I don't think he ever, uh, he's he's much more, uh, I don't know, uh, religious about it. <laughs> he's much yeah, more. I'm trying, to find this, I'm trying to find this Melville quote, the, the horrors of the half-known life. I'm, 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 I remember this quote from Melville, but not the particular context. But if I was going to do Bobby Dick with this book, I would say, like, Matson is much more the Ahab figure. Mm. He's oh, much more the imperial force. He's coming in with the troops, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think conquer. you have to do it on the original and, story and, as well. And Rockmel, Rockmel is kind of just along for the voyage or something. He's more, he is more like the Ishmael in that, in that well, sense. Well, because but then Matson, you need Matson. Yeah, yeah Matson and the unteleported man attempts a coup. Like, he's he goes off to... There's so there's so many things, uh, just the uh, weapons, right? That was uh, all the Project Plowshare stuff, right? Where we've got all these advanced weapons, and then he, uh, what kind of training have you got? No, no training. Uh, well, are you willing to use a reality distortion weapon? <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, I'll I'll use that. I mean, that's where will you know your answers like do these? <laughs> what do these natives go, dude? There might not be any natives, right? <laughs> Depending on how you see what's. <laughs> I mean, trying to make a coherent sense out of this without it being a particular one man's vision all the way through, a coherent vision, uh, it, it sort of br- it breaks my, my, my ability to understand a book is only insofar as there's a beginning and an end. And I, I know that it was made by a person. And now I can say it has these factors in it, even when... Uh, as long as I'm looking at a particular version, but this one I know was fucked with, so I can't trust anything. This is what makes it so different from any other of his other stuff. Well, we, which we should let, let, let me take a different track on, on, on the native Jesse uh, with, with what you brought up here. So I think that uh, the reality distorting weapons is like a good like entry for thinking about this. Um, uh, so we don't know what reality is all the time here. We don't know whether the natives exist or not. Um, I just, it reminds me of the, of the Western we did recently with regard to the natives who were just like totally absent, mm-hmm, right? Like, mm-hmm. the untamed. Thought, yeah, the untamed. Like, it's just, uh, it's the frontier. And we're, we're doing these like wild things on the frontier, but, uh, it's like, it's like made up. So like, like Dick's frontier is like a bit more realistic yes. in this story than, uh, the frontier. It's way less country. romantic, right? It, uh, yeah, it's the anti-romantic, it's also, in fact. No, but it. I do think that uh, uh, I think that if this novel were uh, were coherent and like it seems desired uh, designed to not be in some kind of way, or <laughs> like the the version of it that we have is designed right. to not be coherent, uh, whether that's designed by Philip K. Dick or designed by somebody else, you know, um, uh, the uh, yeah, I think that 
like the incoherence of the natives is like the incoherence of the novel. If you're going to have like a coherent novel here, you'd have to like solve that problem, right? Like what what is going on there? Mm-hmm. Or the mystery of it. Uh, I mean, I think that the the mystery of what's going on on this planet is driving this, and that's a piece of it. Mm-hmm. I'll just what? say, Will. I I think Dick is very. I mean, he deals with indigenous people in exactly. several novels. I think quite well, like uh, Martian Time Slip, Crack in Space. Actually, that's a, maybe a good one to compare here because that's another overpopulation novel where you have settlers coming and there's an indigenous population. That's, uh, I mean, that's the main plot point of that novel. Makes me think of um, in Doctor Futurity, right? Is is a re re redone version of of um, Time Pawn, which I know Marissa's read, um, mm-hmm. and Paul. I don't. I don't know. I I, I put it together. I'm pretty sure. Yeah. You did. yeah pretty so amazing. what what's so amazing about Time Pawn is it's beautifully it's beautiful to read, whereas uh, Doctor Futurity is interesting and it's bigger, but Time Pawn is its own thing, right? It it, it is the same story, but it's more beautiful text. Like the it's it starts more beautifully. It's the thing is, is I, I think we can judge time. We could do another show on Time Pond, and I wouldn't have a, it being a problem with being a duplication of doing Doctor Futurity because they're so different. Whereas with this book, I feel like I could do one on the original, uh, and I feel like mm-hmm. I could do the original in Fantastic, and I feel like I could do one on the um, on the Ace Double. But I don't feel like uh, it wouldn't be duplicating this because those would feel coherent. I, I, I think the editing here is so... Uh, it's even worse than like the weird chapter in Dr. Blood Money because he, he was yeah. around when that was being published, right? He was, he was there to not care or care. But with this one, I feel like it's, it feels much more less like a novel than it does like... Uh, Somebody edited together a bunch of his stuff. It's it's a it's a fix. No, I think, like, uh, but a not a fix up by the author, right? A fix, a fix up, up by I, somebody else, and they didn't put their name well, on it. I think it. it's not that hard to fix. I, I think if you just have basically the unteleported man, and then you slip in Rockmel as the one who has to transport at the end, and then you put all that added material at the end, it maybe it's not perfect fix up, but it's better than what we got. <laughs> Well, why not just read the originals, right? Yeah. And the reason anyway, we're not uh, is because they're not available. They're not, they're not, you know, there's no, there's a ton of Philip K. Dick, like Time Pond. It's just, you can't buy it. It doesn't exist, right? It, it was published the one time, and it's not in any of the short story collections, and it's not in, it's not available as an audiobook. That's, that's it. You're done. You can't, you can't access it. And that's, that is insane. Because Nesma needs to do a series of volumes on Philip K. Dick, like they've done, like with Poole Anderson and Rogers the last thing. Just collect the whole set and just put them into books. I would pay good money for that. Mm. I'm I, I'm working on a project to bring those to the to the internet without actually having to go through all the licensing. That's the public domain part of it. I'm pretty sure. I can get Time Pond into the public domain. I'm pretty sure about that. I, I haven't pulled the trigger on it, but I'm pretty sure. And I would love to do Time Pond again or 
not again, Time Pawn, as opposed to Doctor Future. Yeah, Time Pawn. So. And 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 it's because it has that coherence. It was put into a magazine where an editor said, "I will buy this," right? And even if the editor fucked around with it, um, it wasn't fucked around in the same way. He was trying to sell a magazine, whereas I feel like the estate here has tried to squeeze another book, uh, another novel out uh, that was too short to be considered a novel. He he was a slim volume writer anyways right but double and, 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 double and, and, doubling the length more than doubling was, the length mm. yeah, when those together that yeah. that sort of uh that sort of style had gone away so indeed so i i found the melville quote i was looking for mm-hmm. i don't know how relevant it is but it, it seems to have some connection to indigenous people and the sea and whales perhaps um it's one of my favorite moments in moby dick Consider the subtleness of the sea, how its most dreadful creatures glide underwater, unapparent for the most part, and treacherously hidden beneath the loveliest tints of azure. Consider also the devilish brilliance and beauty of many of its most remorseless tribes, as the dainty embellished shape of many species of sharks. Consider once more the universal cannibalism of the sea, all whose creatures prey upon each other, carrying on eternal war since the world began. Consider all this and then turn to this green, gentle, and most docile earth. Consider them both, the sea and the land, and you do not find a strange analogy to something in yourself. For as this appalling ocean surrounds the verdant land, so in the soul of man there lies one insular Tahiti, (laughs) full of peace and joy, but encompassed by all the horrors of the half-known life. God keep thee, push not off from that isle, thou canst never return. Hmm, that's nice. That's the quote. Yeah. That's chapter uh, 58 of Moby Dick. Hmm. And I Everybody should read it. Squint and, and see, and see uh, Applebaum's journey, his quest in that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I mean, his ship's going to be impounded. <laughs> he has to yeah. cast off real soon. He doesn't have an anchor. <laughs> yeah. the, the amount of delay... You know that they put into effort to put into that 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 menace that conspiracy theory. It's right in the beginning of the book, right? He says uh, something like, "When uh, you live in a police state, what's the line go?" Uh, let's see if I can bring it up. Control F, police state. Oh yeah, about the paranoia. Yeah. Uh, let's see at the beginning, ten, police show up twenty times in this document. Uh huh. Uh, oh wait, this might not be the right version of the book. Anyways, it says something basically like, when you live in a a police state, uh, you you tend to get uh, conspiracy-minded and paranoid, but not everything is about, uh, you, (laughs) he says to himself, and in fact, the police are our friends, (laughs) and he's, where did that thought come from? (laughs) That sounds really weird for 2022. Well, that's it's true. The thing is, is the FBI is out to get you, just not you specifically. Most of the time, right? They're they're going to collect every. Oh, this is the NSA's official line, right? Collect everything, and then we can use it later if we need to. And and that so, he's right. He it, it is when you're living in a police state. It's very hard to uh, to not attribute every. You know, noise and bark out on the street as the cops pulling up to get you. Um, but sometimes, the, in fact, quite often, 
people how the cost coming up you know what what's the the scariest one right is the wellness check uh, in our time right the, the the neighbor calls up the police nancy's not answering the door right and so they send the police to go check and see if she's okay and then they break into the apartment and stomp her head in it's like what the hell nancy <laughs> What? <laughs> Why didn't you answer the door? Damn it! Right, the wellness oh, check that gets you killed because you didn't answer the door because your nosy neighbor wanted to talk to you about you not wearing a mask in the hallways or whatever. That is the the horror. Don't laugh, Paul. This is a reality. I, I know, I know, but just the way you're putting it, it's scary. it's a nightmare of like. I just I just love like not so long ago the. Uh, the government of Quebec was all up trying to convince people to vote for, you know, the provincial uh, party that was in charge was trying to convince people to vote for them by using a wedge issue, right? Uh, which is face head coverings in schools and head coverings in businesses that were, are not businesses, any government run thing. You couldn't have a religious head covering, right? And now, of course, the schools all want everybody to have masks and, uh, so, don't the Saudi didn't the Saudis have it right all along? Right, just wear masks all the time everywhere you go. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we find it uh, we find it bad, but they had good reason for it. It, it prevented the spread of plague. Oh, okay. Well, I guess we're all in favor. Let's all join the Saudis now, right? And then we have that reaction when we oh, and I'm in the store and I see somebody is not wearing a mask. I think you are profiting on the uh, on the fact that i'm wearing a mask everyone else is wearing masks so you don't have to how dare you you're morally wrong sir <laughs> right? mm-hmm. that logic sure. it's, sure. it's inescapable as long as you don't uh as long as you you know reflect on just you know what was happening two or three years ago or 10 years ago or 50 years ago but we don't reflect very well on cultures that are doing stuff like that are hundreds of years old right that there's there was a reason for abstaining from meat or abstaining from this particular or, yeah. uh, seafood or whatever it is, right? Because there was a logic to it, whether we know what it is or not. And so that kind of conservatism, uh, which is a kind of positive conservatism, is like, yeah, just because there's a fence there doesn't mean you it needs to be torn down. There might have been a reason for it. Um, but knowing the reasons is is much harder than just seeing the reality. This is to say Philip K. Dick is exploring some really cool stuff in the same way that that uh, uh, Melville was. And that's why they both last, right? But I don't think there's ever going to be a time in the future where everybody's going to sit down and say, Philip K. Dick's greatest book, Lies, Inc. <laughs> Not going to happen. Not the way... Uh-huh. The, yeah, I mean, the, the, uh, I, I think this book has a lot of cool stuff, for sure. And and I do like all the connections it it makes with all of the other stories, and uh, novels. It's just it has I think probably more than any any other one, which is pretty funny. Yeah. Like it, the number but, of connections. Um, this is the nexus book for all of the Philip K. Dick stuff, as far as I can see. But do we, or, it's the it is the umphalos. Wow. But I don't know if I go that far. But do any of you notice with me that? Like Dick's, this is I guess getting back to, like I think so many people see him as a pessimistic writer, and I, I don't see that. I see 
there's a lot more optimism in his work than he gets credit for. Mm. But like his authoritarian states, like when you compare him to like or, or like I guess the other well, one extreme is Orwell, right? Mm-hmm. It's the boot on human face for all time, <laughs> yes. unbreakable, like eternal tyranny. And Dick's authoritarianisms, they they rarely last the novel. <laughs> no, they don't. Yeah, as you yeah. said. They're all short novels, like the world Jones made, uh, Doctor Futurity, uh, even like uh, Now Wait for Last Year, or, or what about uh, the Man Who Japed? That, that or this that. one, yeah. yeah, the Man Who Japed. Th- this this novel, um, you just expose them and then it all falls apart, right? Mm-hmm. People stop going to New Colonized Land, and that's the end of it, right? And I, I think we haven't said enough about it, I think that settler family because mm. I think that's a interesting sub theme a subplot mm-hmm. that's relevant and and i think they're actually quite central to the novel yeah because at the end they're like don't go there because it's basically a gulag and they're like okay i don't go but that's a symbol of the end of that that tyranny is but this the, same the, the exception to this there's an exception to this and that is um like i guess the most Orwellian scanner darkly well he wrote what not the scanner darkly even that has some hope but he does get more pessimistic towards the end of his life, I'll admit. But uh, I'm thinking of Radio Free Album, then, hmm. where you do have kind of a eternal police state. That, that's his best late novel, I think. Not published till after he died, though. It was like the first draft of Ballas. What were we going to say, Marissa? No. I was ask, is the Settler family at the end? This is the same one that we're introduced to at the start, where yeah. the guy has the pigeon breathing down the back of his yeah. neck, right? Mm-hmm. I think yeah. so. Yeah. Yeah, I love that. That a pigeon is taking his job. Yeah, uh, that, that, that again. That's very do Android's dream of electric sheep world, right? The chicken right. head is what I kept thinking in that section. It, they call him a chicken head because, uh, and and I I I think that that's really like the fact that he's living in a the the west coast, right? He's moved from the east, went traveled across the continent. And now there's no place to go, right? He, he flirts with moving to Vancouver and staying there. He, he fl- uh, goes to France a couple of times, right? But those, uh, they're not farther west, right? They're not farther to the, the escape. And so the kind of, I, uh, like the sympathy that Dick has for, for those who stay behind and those who want to flee, it's, it's a it's a really interesting theme that like writers don't talk about. I don't know anybody else who talks about that. Right. Mm-hmm. So yeah, with, I, I think that's really crucial to to the dig. With the colon the colonist fiction, yeah. Like it will you know the colonist fiction of um, the British Empire, where you know H. Ryder Haggard has his characters go off to Africa, and they might even be born there, and then they go back to England. The world is their whole planet. They they run the world. It's okay to go off to India. Um, going home is not a big deal, right? It's it's what you do. It's what one does. But that's not the same as moving to a place. It's sort of like maybe a class issue. Whereas you know who who are the people who moved to the states? It wasn't the it wasn't the uh, the landed gentry. It was the the poors. And the second sons who are fleeing murder convictions or whatever, mm. right? So th- that that whole settler mentality, moving off to escape, 
a shitty economy to escape persecution from the Jews in Eastern Europe to to get free land because you're fucking starving in Ireland, right? That that uh, sympathy is not only with the people who want to leave, but it's also with those who who are left behind. Is saying like, uh, isn't our country being brain drained, right? Well, every everything's great in the new off-world colonies. Those balloons from the Blade Runner movie, right? The yeah. dirigibles, uh, be, a chance to begin away. again. That's right. And then and then in the book, it's like you're going to get. Uh, all of the, in this book, it's free land, right? 20 acres or whatever it is. And in, in the, uh, in Blade Runner, the promise is you get all these sex robots and, uh, farm robots, basically slaves, right? And you, you get one assigned free just by it going. It's, so he is definitely suspicious of this, but he's also attracted to it. And it's so cool. Yeah. That's the that's the no, I, amazing I, thing about Dick is he's not talking about nothing. He's talking about something very important to human beings. I wonder if if the U.S. I don't know about Canada. Just maybe you can say, but I'm not sure the U.S. ever got over the end of the frontier. It's like the no, it the crisis did. that Turner mentioned a yeah. hundred years ago. Like I was thinking I mean, his, about Turner. Got, like Turner's thesis is that like for most of, like for the first half of American history, if you will, like. There's always this frontier in which democracy could remake itself. So mm-hmm. you go west, you kind of you take off your shirt, you chuck down the trees, you build your log cabin, you interact with the Indians, you learn about freedom in a whole new context, and then you kill the Indians or whatever. But, you know, it's, it's uh, this constant, you remake democracy through the frontier experience. Mm-hmm. Right? And he's engaging so with that. You run out of front- what happens if you run out of frontier? Well, we have, like, culturally, the solution is you have the Western, you have science fiction, and I guess politically you have the Pacific, right? Well, we right. can still conquer the Philippines, or we can That's open right. China or something. Um, so the whole American experience of the Pacific is tied up into this way. Yeah, and the whole uh, American experience of empire, where we won't call an empire Puerto Rico, the Philippines... Yeah, I, I want to point out that the, uh, that it really did happen. Like, so the way the Philippines was colonized by the United States, it's not really well known outside. I don't think. But uh, for the 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 thing that struck me so interestingly, Clark Ashton Smith, you know, California boy, uh, one of his first stories is published in a Philippines American magazine. A magazine being published in the Philippines for the colonizers to appreciate, you know, life in in the same way that the Indians uh, were colonized in India by the British and the Raj, right? They had essentially the same kind of occupation. It was like, this is our land, and that's my estate, and I have this house, and these are my servants, and we even have our own publishing industry, right, that is just designed to service this you see uh, the way Rudyard Kipling's first uh, publications are in a railroad uh, magazine, a magazine available on the Indian Railroad, right? It was the frontier, absolutely. Now, it, it is a not official policy. People don't think of it that way, right? But if you think of how many people are serving overseas, right, at these military bases everywhere, the planet is the is it, it, it's sort of past the idea of 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 emigration and uh, the new frontier and 
carving off a piece. Now it is ours to. I mean, it, that, that's not the way. That's not the story we get from Af- Afghanistan, right? It's not the reason, the explanation as to why the United States is there still after twenty years. That's not the explanation, but it is the evolution. In the same way that the British did that, right? And they colonized a whole bunch of places. They just don't. They don't live there, right? They don't. You, you send your sons off to fight those wars, and then they come home. In this, so it's it. We're past that stage, but I don't think Philip K. Dick was. the The stuff we see in this book that's so related to the ovens, right? The the fear of what what's on the other side of that that train journey west or train journey east in that case. Um, it it's formative because he was reading the newspapers that he's getting published in during World War II and seeing the stories of what's going on and then finding out afterwards, oh my God, we didn't have the complete story, right? What Hitler said wasn't true. <laughs> the, official, the official lies that were being told. Oh, it's so good. He's He is a product of his environment, of, of that westward journey with his mom, with that... Uh, you know, growing up during the war and loving, loving, uh, these German operas with ha- having a German name and also being fearful of Germans, right? It's crazy. Yeah. I, I, the, uh, There's actually a really interesting book on the Holocaust called Black Earth. Uh-huh. Have any of you read this? No, no. I know. The Holocaust is History of Morning. Um, Timothy Snyder. Um, he's, I think he's a historian of Eastern Europe. But this book talks about like Hitler's interest in the U.S. frontier mm. and how he was trying to create his own kind of frontier. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like in, the in Eastern Europe, logic. yeah, yeah, in Eastern Europe, yeah. Huh. Check yeah, out yeah, that book if you, the, if you look at the maps, you know, what Hitler was planning. He basically settled, depopulate Eastern Europe and and Western Russia, and basically settle Germans there. So yeah. Uh. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but what's so striking about that book is how much Hitler was influenced by this idea of the colonization of the American West as a race war. Mm-hmm. as like an American version of Lebensraum. And he was just sort of pop. Yeah, he was just sort of applying that to Europe. Yep. It's called Black Earth. It's a really good book. Sounds it's, it. It's, I mean, I think it does possible. other things. The book does yeah. other things, but that's that chapter on that is really quite... Who Relevant. wrote that? Timothy, uh, Timothy Snyder. Snyder. Cool. Yeah, I mean, I think it's helpful to remember that, like, you know, um, I'll, I'll just use my own, like, state as an example uh, to, like, not pick on anybody else. Like, you know, Kentucky is not naturally part of the United States, <laughs> like, in a way that, like, the Philippines isn't, right? Like, like it's not like, you know, the, like, Kentucky is, like, a natural place for, like, the, the settler to come to in a way that, like, the Philippines isn't. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, I think he really, like, uh, I think that, uh, I think this novel really uses the, uh, uh, the Germans for us to, like, be able to think about Americans in a way. I don't know mm-hmm. if that's, like, Dick's mm-hmm. intention here, but it's, uh, yeah. I think, uh, I think a lot of the fascism conversation that goes on in, like, SFF fandom, like, mm. um, we're, like, uh, we're arguing about whether like Joseph Campbell is a fascist or not, and it's like, 
maybe like maybe like the actual settler colonial project in the United States is like disturbing enough, like that we like don't have to argue about whether he has affinity with like the Nazis, right? Mm-hmm. Like, like our own, like you can like be like a eugenics racist in the United States, um, like you can like have like just like very fond feelings about like uh, you know. Uh, wiping out the people of a continent uh, and like just it's totally natural it like was always this way um, so I think that's why the like um, Hitler like, was a Hitler was a romantic right yeah he, he, he had a it, they're dangerous they're dangerous it's as opposed to a you know a practicalist the, the thing is is being a practicalist is incredibly dangerous too it's just different kind of way right so uh, I I kept I kept thinking of Carl May. This is the guy, the German who never went to Canada or the United States who causes, uh, I, I've talked about him before, uh, who causes Germans to show up on the mountains all over Western Canada, right? <laughs> You're climbing a mountain and you say, oh, there's a couple walking. And they're German. Of course they are. <laughs> because they came to appreciate uh, the beauty of Western Canada and the United States uh, indirectly, usually, because nobody's reading his books anymore. Um, this Western writer who is saying about all the amazing things that are happening in, in North America, right? And, oh, there's a German and he's, he's friends with a native and they have adventures together. Um, it's a romantic adventure, right? And then you can take what is essentially non-threatening, um, and then turn it into a crusade, right? I mean, Jesus isn't saying, uh, you need to liberate the Holy Lands. That's other people, right? Those those uh, crusades a thousand years after this supposed guy was walking around that place, uh, um, you know, uh, they're theoretically motivated by a a real book, or f- it's a real book, a fictional story. It was a romance that drove people into that. It wasn't just the prospect of dollars and land. It was also the romantic idea of working off for something. He is engaging with this desire to get out of the house and go someplace and have an adventure and more importantly to conquer. Get that place. Make it your own. Get out of your mom's house. <laughs> get out from under. <laughs> uh, I've got one last bit about the Germans in this novel. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so what about what about the little send-off uh, point? You know, the Germans were the first ones to fight the Nazis. <laughs> I thought that was great. Yeah, that really how you relate it to alert. Americans as well. Like there are some good Americans, despite <laughs> dropping a bomb on Japan. <laughs> it's so brilliant because, like, I think most Americans would be like, "Of course, we're all good." <laughs> it is a nice sort of out distancing a dick does to make you think, like, "Oh wait, oh we were the baddies." Yeah, for that is dropping us. A bomb. <laughs> we are. It's we are so the good. Yeah. I love that line as well. And since we just had another uh, anniversary of Hiroshima, it's even more poignant. I I think we're done, but I want to tell you a story. I I watched a couple of YouTube videos um, that were history. Again? Always doing it. Um, Really good channel, couple. Uh, One of them is about uh, the two planes that dropped on Hiroshima and Nagasaki. Um, They uh, apparently were going to, they weren't able to do it a little earlier. Uh, or at least they didn't think they would be able to do it in time, um, drop the bombs, uh, because they didn't have aircraft that could hold them. 
the only people who had them were the British. Um, their holds were physically bigger in dimension, whereas the other, the ones that eventually did it, right, that actually did it, uh, Fat Man and Little Boy and Enola Gay, etc., um, they had like a wing spar. Uh, they had bigger bomb bays, but they were designed for dropping conventional bombs rather than one big, you know, giant bomb. So it almost was the case that the British dropped the bombs on on uh, Hiroshima and Nagasaki. Like, they had the aircraft in the zone in Burma, and they were going to do it. Um, they didn't. Uh, but get this. Um, Nagasaki wasn't the original target for that day. So there was another city, I can't remember the name of it right now, that was spared because of bad weather over it. Can you imagine being one of those people? <laughs> it's like, yeah. I'm glad it ha- it's raining today. I'm glad it's overcast because now I'm not dead. Now all my family's still alive. Meanwhile, that town, you know, down the road, the second target, completely destroyed. And uh, the... Um, Kokura. Was Kokura, the, uh, that's the one, yeah. yeah that was going to be the show. So they call it the luck of Kokura, right? Which is crazy. But uh, the the Japanese were not given up. Uh, the more evidence I look into it, it's like there's no chance they're going to give up. Every time they, they try and open negotiations, they, somebody comes in and tries to assassinate whoever has that. Um, you, that you, you, you listen to Dan Carlin, don't yeah, you? Yeah, I heard that Dan Carlin as well. But yeah, this the is, supernova and the, I mm-hmm. mean, just, just, the, just the weird way the Japanese government and military were structured made it difficult. The military was 100% in charge, but not from the what? top down. It was from the bottom up. Yeah, and also and also the different branches fighting and arguing and conspiring with the, against each other. So it's it's a very strange system. So that explains why. Yeah. Yeah. Super hyper militarist. I, I, I went to a talk about this this very issue, and I don't, the the guy made the point that like the navy was getting like eighty or ninety percent of like the military funding. Crazy. Like. Even up to Pearl Harbor, at a time when the army was losing, like not making the gains it needed in China, mm-hmm. which was an army fight, and so Pearl Harbor was a naval effort, and it was something the Navy wanted because of the slowdown of the army. But like the the army wasn't being properly funded because of the Navy. Dude, they, can you make any analogies to the United States today? Thinking like who's who? What do, what do the majority of Americans want? Oh, let's see, healthcare, <laughs> living wage, um, and what do they get? More battleships. <laughs> in, in this case, uh, more aircraft carriers, carriers, and an, on a war with Venezuela. <laughs> All those Americans are clamoring for a war with Venezuela. Oh, in Russia, we need to have a st- start a war with Russia. Um, so, don't forget about China. They have to be stopped. Oh, my God. China's China's the uh, they really do want a world war, don't they? Yeah. I mean, they like keep like hiring our professors and making our socks. And it makes me upset. Right. They keep, you know, <laughs> uh, what, what's the the story is Russia's got a vaccine and and uh, the stories are nobody believes it. 
No, it yeah. said it said scientists and others, <laughs> and I'm like, who are the others? Oh yeah, government officials. <laughs> my my, uh, my friend, uh, my other friend Jesse, um, who I I want to have a you two need to have whatever the literary equivalent of a rap battle is. Okay, cool. Uh, but uh, but uh, he says that the uh, the the Oaf's dialectic for the coronavirus resolving is for um, all of the American liberals. To uh, refuse to take a Russian coronavirus vaccine, <sighs> I, like that's the, that's the oath style. I think. I think what they'll do is they'll take it and say it wasn't theirs, it wasn't Russian. Like yeah. like Jeff Bezos will buy it and like charge people more for it, and that will call like... it Amazon. Yeah, call Amazon uh, vaccine. Yeah, it, it's very easy to forget uh, where stuff comes from when you you're. Uh, you benefit by forgetting where it comes from. Yep. I mean, this is where this is how the meat industry works, right? <laughs> this is how just about everything works. Right. This has been the SFF Audio Podcast. Please join us at www.sffaudio.com. And thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this podcast, consider becoming a patron at patreon.com forward slash SFF audio. She takes a break. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, what do you think about the uh, adding uh, to the wish list uh, the Wold Newton concept as a concept episode? You mean like a topic episode? Yeah, like a topic episode. I, I uh, here's the problem. I, I, I'm aware of the concept, but I've not read enough material to be confident to contribute. This is an opportunity for you to read more, Jesse. Yeah. Uh, the, the Paul. What is the concept? Something uh, yeah, let me, let me tell you about it. Um, uh, so uh, it's this concept that Philip Jose Farmer had. Um, it comes out of his novel Tarzan Alive. And so Tarzan Alive is like a weird novel. It's basically like like a fan theory, like expanded to the point of literature, um, where he does like a, a biography of Tarzan, arguing that Tarzan is a real person and that he met with Tarzan to interview him uh, <laughs> for 15 minutes in Liberia. Uh, and there's a video of Phil talking about this, where he like talked about how moving it was to meet Tarzan. Um uh, and so at the, in the back of the book, he's got this uh, genealogy of Tarzan, and he kind of explains that all of the like uh, great heroes of uh, popular fiction can uh, trace their uh, lineage back to uh, like eight families who were in uh, Wold Newton, England uh, during a meteor strike that like mutated their genes. Um, it's basically. So, uh, Alan Moore's um, League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, but as a as a literary theory <laughs> rather as than as a, than of a, a comic yeah, book well, series. Yeah, I mean, Alan Moore ripped it off Philip Jose Farmer, yeah. or ripped it off fandom generally. You can't really uh, you can't really rip that kind of thing off because the whole thing's a rip off, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, Alan Moore has said we can't really criticize Philip Jose Farmer for not going far enough. <laughs> um, but um, anyway. Uh, so, uh, so that, it kind of comes out of that, and there's this whole, uh, uh, you can kind of tie whatever work of fiction you want into this theory, uh, but, uh, you know, it's important not to drop, uh, kayfabe, you know, while you're doing it, um. Is that a drug? And, 
Uh, kayfabe is like the technique that like pro wrestlers use, where like they're like pretending they're real wrestlers. Uh, okay, uh, break break down the etymology. Yeah, I've yeah, heard I mean, of it, but I've never understood what it was. This is news to me. I, I thought I thought it was exactly. Tell me, it's fake, but like boxing. <laughs> <laughs> yes, uh, fake like uh, fake like boxing. Joke, but. Yeah, <laughs> uh, but uh, but Philip Jose Farmer wrote a couple of novels, kind of in this vein. Um, there's this Tarzan Alive. He did a Doc Savage biography called uh, His Apocalyptic Life. Um, I think most interestingly uh, to like our audience, perhaps. Uh, there's um, uh, the other log of Phileas Fogg. Yeah, so I, I have that book, but I've never read it. Yeah, um, and so uh, and you know that that premise is basically that uh, there's this whole like other novel taking place in um, the interstices of Fogg's journey around the world in eighty days. Yeah, around the world in eighty days. So is the broader concept here then that these fictional entities are somehow manifest in our world in some way? Yeah, yeah, that they're, they're like fables or the Dark Tower. Because I mean, you see this in the fa- in the that comic. Well, I, actually, the way I understand it, it's more like they're all taking place in the same fictional universe, and they all no, have this it's not fictional. To... It's real. Um, the, the, <laughs> the, the, <laughs> okay, then I haven't read enough of this to actually know that it's actually real. I knew. Okay. I'm, yeah, I'm, yeah. So I'm the premise, the premise is, is that the uh, the premise is that uh, so so the books are like somewhat fictionalized, but they record things that really happened. And so you can, like, argue around the edges, like, uh, so Philip Jose Farmer said that the novel Tarzan and the Ant-Man, which recently came into the public domain, like, didn't really happen because, like, he couldn't have actually gone to, like, a fictional African country where there's, like, white people who are six inches tall and then been shrunk down to their size. Um, like, and so Phil's like, you know, that's, uh, that can't, like, really exist. Um, but then, you know, he makes this timeline that actually shows where it would take place in the timeline. So you can, like, you can argue around the edges whether things were fictional or not. Um, uh, but it can be a longer-term, like, wish list thing. Like, uh, I have, like... Uh, uh, it sounds good. Um, yeah. We, but we, uh, need I, a, we need to have a, a, a text to deal with, I think. Um, yeah. Since we need to be some, trained I up. I need to do some work on it. And I, I have some... Uh, some younger uh, Wold Newtonians that I'm like working that uh, might be interested in like oh, this podcast. I thought, I thought or, like working like a scam that you're working on. Uh, maybe organizing or, or just like trying to figure out how to collaborate. With, it's going to be the black uh, block coming to uh, kick people's doors open and say, "Hey, have you heard of the Wold Newtonians?" <laughs> I, I clearly haven't read enough of this because I didn't realize it was supposed to be secret history instead of fictional history. So no, it's it's secret history. Yeah, you should. Uh, the the problem is like none of this is. It's uh, a proto religion. <laughs> none of this is like has, is in audiobook format. So yeah, that's going to be a problem. It's like a, a a richly old Newtonian text that is like available to us. Well, the other thing you can do, Will, is you can just record it and then it, it gets out into the wild and you can't do anything about it. You know, no. The thing is, is it's not illegal for you to record, uh, uh, you know, something like that and put it out into the wild. And then he said, "Well, look, it's not in my hands. It's not my server, right?" (laughs) Yeah, I start making pirate Philip Jose Farmer audiobooks. Um, How how would anybody be upset? That's that's almost a very old concept in and of itself. That's right. Um, do we need to know something about your ancestors and where they were in the late 18th century, Will? <laughs> well, clearly they're connected. <laughs> Before yeah, we get anyway, too uh, too uh, off, the, off uh, uh, we're supposed to be recording a podcast. I just want to 
yeah. tell you, I, I read this uh, on the Wikipedia entry for kayfabe, which I think yeah. is now important. You must hear. Uh, etymology. Various sources have suggested different origins for the term kayfabe, but the actual origin is not known with certainty. One theory suggests that it was derived from a word manipulation for the term be fake, a.k.a. or a la pig Latin, another argo. Uh, designed to conceal the true meaning. Another theory claims that there actually was a wrestler named Kay Fabian, who was mute. Neither claim has been substantiated. Another theory suggests that the term derives from the expression keep cavy from the Latin for cavio, which means look out for it. The phrase was used throughout Britain and by Jews living in East London between World War I and World War II. Per that theory, many U.S. promoters and wrestlers at the time were of Eastern European origin, and many have had have many had heavy accents, leading to the term to be transformed into kayfabe. Kayfabe. <laughs> yeah, I was actually going to say, um, I only learned about this recently on the Blind Boy podcast. Have uh-huh. you guys listened to that? No, I've never even heard no. of it. It's so freaking good. And that episode that where he talks about it totally blew my mind because he was saying that he thinks this is what the whole Trump phenomenon is like. Dude, of like course it is. The whole country is in this kayfabe thing. <laughs> whatever Trump says, we'll pretend and go along with it. And um, the he, way he breaks he, it down was so good. Yeah, send, send a link to that if you can. Yeah. I'm looking it up. You know the, the Sark quote about, like, anti-Semites where he's, like, talking about how, um, you know, like, you can argue with them, but, like, it's not, like, like that's not the point. Like, they know that their responses are ridiculous. Um, so, like, yeah, you can use it for I got people. It. Blind Boy podcast. Uh, it's a really good podcast. Um, all right. All right. Gonna... I linked it to you. Clancy's Pancake is one where he talks Cla- about KFA. Clancy's, Clancy's Pancake. Okay. Um, I'm going to my phone and adding this now before I forget. But also, I just saw, it was really weird because while you guys were talking about that, Mm -hmm. I scrolled my phone and I saw that he's just started a Twitch stream on um, Blade Runner 97, the computer game. And I was like, oh, cool. Ooh, maybe we should do a rogue SFF audio podcast on the game. Uh, I hear that it's now available on, um, what's that website called? Oh, GOG. GOG, yeah. yeah. Is that correct? It is. Okay. Uh-huh. They, just, they just put it out. Um, um, like I'd be up for that. Let's that would do be it. interesting. Because it's so good. Have you guys played it? I have. No, I was the one who told you about it, Marissa. No, you oh my I played it when I was a teenager. Oh, seriously? Yeah. Okay. And that's that's why I, that's what got me into Blade Runner in the first place. I, I think I oh, played that's that before amazing. I watched the movie. Like, it's so Philip K. Dickey. It's really good. It's amazing. Um, it, it, what's so cool about it is it's it's the movie, but with a, a thousand different endings and without the actual movie. It's just the same setting and the same problem. Yeah. Right? And it's got all, the atmosphere and stuff. It's just so spot on. It's so good. Okay. Yeah. So uh, when was this one? The one uh, uh, Clancy's Pancake. I got it. All right. Good. I got a new phone. I, I have to tell everybody about my new phone. Uh-oh. Shut up, phone. New, new, new phone? Who's this? <laughs> it, it took a while it took a while to uh, get it actually working uh like a phone but uh it's it's nice to have a phone that's fast as opposed to slow what kind of phone is it it's an lg v60 did you make it out of chert i should have made it out of chert it would have been a lot cheaper 
what's your time really worth, you know? It's very important, you know? I think it's very important to uh, have the right kit, as you were pointing out. Yes. All right. Uh, Evan needs a better mic kit. <laughs> All right, here we go. Yeah, you guys ready? We got this right. recording going already so long. Yeah, I have recording going. All right. Um, I've forgotten everything. Oh, Mr. Adam, we got to figure out when we're going to do that to Evan at some point. Uh all right, you get those files out to us, and we'll be good, right? Yeah, they're done. All they're right, recorded. Yeah, I want it. I want it in my hand. Put it in in my hand for me, so I understand. All right, I'll work on it tomorrow. All right. Uh, am I missing something very important? Yes, I've made all my links go away. Uh, all right, Lies Inc. Come on. No, didn't come up. Lies, comma, ink, period. Bring that up. Alright, that looks right. Okay. Um, uh, Unteleported Man, Lies, Inc., and uh, you guys have the links to the um, Sick My Duck version? No? no, I couldn't find it. I got oh, it. I it's it's I called the Unteleported Man there, but I'm not sure which version they have. I think it's not the one we have. I'll be okay. I'll, I hate that website, so I will not go. You I'll racist. It, no, because it just, it's just sexist pop ups and crap. Actually, you know what? I, I, I think it's not actually anymore because I, I used it on Chrome and it's fine. Yeah, I don't even have any problems with that. But I, yeah, I think it was infected at some point, but it's, it seems to be good now. The Russians are your friends, Paul. <laughs> sure. Don't hate on the Russians. Sure. All right, here we go. Uh, Jesse, Paul, uh, Misa, uh, Evan. Oh, my God. <laughs> now who's gonna get canceled? Now, now who? See, it even happens to me, Paul. Okay, uh, it's been so long since you've been on, Marissa, that <laughs> I've forgotten, how to I've forgotten who you are. Okay, Jesse, Paul, uh, Marissa, Evan, Will. Okay. Got it. Mm-hmm. All right. Stop typing, Paul. Here we go. <laughs>